Okay. Are we doing okay? Doesn't time fly when you're having fun? <laughs> Who put 11.30 so close to 10? Frustrating. Anyway, so I'm on part two of a series entitled Crisis, What Crisis? And uh, its uh, subtitle is Doing Money God's Way. And I'm going to set up this morning with a quick summary of last week, just for a bit of context for you. I'm sure you all remember this, but if you don't, three points. Number one, at a time when, when personal money management is right at the fore. It's in the news, it's in our conversations, it's jumping up and down on our utility bills. I think it's about to start on October the 1st, jumping up and down. You know, we really need to know those biblical principles. We need to know what God thinks about money. We need to understand what Jesus taught about money. We need to know what, what a Christian's relationship with the whole money thing should look and feel like. Second one, I... Read this verse last week, but I'll, I'll read it again. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Who knows around here that the world is trying to, the J.B. Phillips translation, squeeze you into a mold. It's trying to get you to conform to its way of doing things. It has a plan for you. Paul wrote, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve this right what we're talking about here, test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Message number two, do not conform. You know, there are, there are forces, there are influences that are attempting to train us to do money their way, to fit their pattern, to squeeze us into their mold. Consumeristic forces, dare I say controlling forces that have a very different agenda for your money. So Paul's advice, do not conform. It's so easy to conform. Everyone else is. Those forces are loud and they are convincing and they're unrelenting. God's call to us as Christians is not conformation, but transformation. Number three, spinning off that is, 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 is there must be a better way. What exactly is that? You know, there is a way, a uh, God's way that we ought to know, we ought to recognize, we ought to be able to follow God's good, pleasing, and perfect way. My message title last week was, was your way, their way, or your way, God's way. You know, did you even know that there was a God's way to do money? And if there is, wouldn't you want to follow it? Well, I'm pretty confident that God's way is going to be infinitely better than any way that I can come up with. And so with that in mind, the title of today's message is, is Pillars of Biblical Stewardship. Sounds grand, doesn't it? Pillars of of biblical stewardship. What does God say about money? 
how to view it, how, how to handle it, how to spend it, how to leverage it. And to answer that question, certainly today, we're going we're gonna to go on a little bit of a journey through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, as we know, is the, is the textbook of biblical wisdom. And Proverbs, of course, features the writings of King Solomon. King Solomon, if you remember, was told by the Lord that he could ask for absolutely anything. And he asked God for a wise and discerning heart to govern well. You know, and he was given just that, and hence the book of Proverbs. But God went on to say after that, 2 Chronicles 1 verse 12, but I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame such as no other king has had before you or will ever have in the future. Therefore, I reckon that King Solomon was well qualified to address financial matters. You know, and I, as I read through the book of Proverbs with this in mind, I found some surprising emphases. And they led actually to this message. And the picture is, if I can have my slide stuff, thank you very much. The picture is of a four-legged chair. And in this illustration, you know, that chair looks, it looks solid. It's comfortable, it's stable, everything works. That is a good chair right there. But for our illustration, each leg of that chair represents one of my pillars. And the four pillars are budget. And the second one is hard work. And the third one is giving. And the fourth one is saving. The point being, if you have all four of those legs in place, you have a great setup, a good, stable, secure, and comfortable chair. But what happens if you chop off a leg of the chair? What happens if you chop off a leg of the chair? What happens if you chop off two legs? What happens if you chop off the third leg? You know, there are people I know that work really, really, really hard, but are still broke. You know, you can have a finely honed and balanced budget, but if you've got no savings, it makes your financial status really, really wobbly. Similarly, you know, you can save like crazy, still be miserable. You know, you can be a generous giver, at least in your dreams, and be broke. In other words, if you've got four pillars, if your chair's got four legs, you're in great shape. But if you lose one or even two, it all topples over dramatically. What we're going to do this morning uh, is we're going to work our way through those four chair legs uh, and then we'll kind of pull it all together at the end. So let's look at the first one. The first one on the list was, was a budget. This is where all the accountants sit back in their seat, take a deep breath and go, now you're talking. This is my world. The rest of you, I apologize. Uh, it's going to start with an equation. And the equation is this, that that income has to be greater than the combination of expenses and saving and giving. Does that make sense? You know, that, that's essentially what you're trying to do in a budget, trying to make sure that the money coming in is more than the money going out. If you do, you're, you're in good shape. The, the 
favorite definition of a budget that I've heard. This is John C. Maxwell. A budget is telling money where to go rather than wondering where it went. In other words, you've got a plan. You've thought this thing through. Now, a good and, and sensible and a balanced budget means certain things. It means, first of all, that, that you are in control of your spending. It also means that, that you, have, you have to maintain a, an affordable lifestyle. It means that, that you have to pay cash for what you can afford rather than use credit for what you can't. And it means you have, you have to make sure that, that, that at least you have at least some financial margin, ready for the unexpected. Here are some of the problems that you might have if you, if you have no budget. The first thing is you might find yourself facing overspending, spending what you don't have for things you don't really need, probably. Second one is your, your, your victim potentially to impulse buying, which is buying out of lust or greed, really, rather than out of wise financial stewardship. The third pothole you might fall in if you don't have a good budget is you might find yourself with cash flow problems. When you really need it, you just don't have it. And the fourth one is, is you're at risk of excessive use of credit, in which case debt can can sneak up on you and actually, as we talked about last week, start to take over. Proverbs 21, verse 17. He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. Proverbs 17, 16. Of what use is money in the hand of a fool since he has no desire to get wisdom? The illustration I like for this one is, is the idea of, of there's a hole in my bucket. You know, I think it's a really helpful illustration. In this one, the more you keep pouring in, you keep pouring in, you keep pouring into the bucket, but because it's got so many holes in it, it just keeps leaking out the bottom. And the more you put in, the more it leaks, and you wonder why you've got nothing in your bucket. And I think this is a very helpful illustration because, you know, it's wonderful to have great intentions. But if your financial bucket is riddled with holes, it will just leak. It'll never be full. And it's cert- you certainly won't be able to overflow into the kind of generosity that we'd all love to share. How do you stop your bucket leaking? Four ideas. If you've got my handouts, you'll frantically filling these in, I'm sure. First one is just financial integrity. Here's a good one for you. Would you be happy for your wife to look at your bank statement? Would you be happy for your mother to look at your bank statement? Would you be happy for your pastor? No, I'm not saying that. So number one, financial integrity. Number two is just wisdom. A good, sound financial stewardship under the hand of the Lord. You know, here it comes down to words like need versus want. Have you ever heard someone say, I need so-and-so? 
and you're looking at them going, oh, no, you, know, you, you might want it, but do you actually need it? But it comes down to things like essential versus optional. Might even be new versus used. The third thing you're going to need if you're going to stop that bucket leaking is, is restraint. What we call gratification delay. You know, will I still actually, will I still want that in a month's time? Or is there just a little bit of lust and greed in my eyes? You know, can I wait, gratification delay, can I wait until I can afford it? Fourth one is just good financial balance. Again, if all four of those pillars and all four of those legs are in place, if in your financial world you've got no excesses, you've got no imbalances, then, then you won't have lots of leaky holes in your bucket. And ultimately, those four things that I've just mentioned, all, all of them actually, are just, are just really good and sound stewardship principles. Okay, I think it's time for a little demonstration. Who loves a demonstration? Okay, so wait one second. Here I ha happen to have, would you believe, I happen to have a chair. Look at this, very fine chair. Okay, so for this demonstration, I am going to need two willing volunteers. Do I have any volunteers? Ah, oh, excellent. Jeremy, thank you. And Paul, okay, Jeremy and Paul. Sorry, Eddie. <laughs> You don't happen to have your tool bag with you, do you, by any chance? You left it over there. What a remarkable coincidence, everybody. Must be over there. Can't get the star. I know. Okay. Um, do you have just two things? Do you have your tools? No, do you have medical insurance? Good coverage? No. no. Safety protective equipment? Okay, don't worry, it's fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Ah, here we go. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Okay. Great, we're ready for you. So, if, you, if you've got... Yeah, good idea. Yeah. Excellent. So, if... So, yeah. Uh, I think we'll have to consult the health and safety oh. department. Okay, maybe... Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, that's good. So... So here we go. Is our foot? We don't need those. So you know, if if you've got no budget, don't no. In a minute. So um, if you've got if you've got no budget, if you've got no restraint, if you've got lots of holes in your budget, your chair will start to look like this. Okay. Do you want to? Not really. Not really, no. no okay. <laughs> Point kind of made, I think, there, Paul. Well done. Okay. Thank you. Take the seats. You can leave that there. We might, we might be coming back to that. You never know. Okay, so that's number one. Number one is budget. Number two is, is hard work. You know, this is a surprisingly dominant theme through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 14, 23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only 
poverty. In other words, you know, many people have got fine ideas and great intentions, but you do need a little bit of good old-fashioned sweat and toil. And the principle which, which, which Proverbs addresses several times, really, is that hard work is godly and it's rewarding. It warns us that, that laziness is the complete reverse. In fact, laziness can lead to a, a kind of consuming lethargy if we're not careful. Proverbs 21, 25, the sluggard's craving will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Proverbs 10, verse 4, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Now, for me personally, I'm very grateful to my, my late departed stepfather, although I'm not sure I was quite, you see, quite so thrilled at the time. Um, he, he had a strange obsession with leaf raking, which I now get, actually, as a, as a house owner. You know, he made me, at the age of 14, 13, I can't remember, he made me get a paper round on a Wednesday night after I played rugby in the rain and the storms. I had to go and deliver papers around a housing estate. You know, I had a succession of really dull, if I'm honest, student holiday jobs. But you see, now I'm a parent. I kind of appreciate that sometimes young people need a little bit of a nudge and help to learn those lessons. Notice, I don't know if you've noticed, there's a certain inbuilt resistance to hard work. Though I have also deduced that the GCSE and A-level revision cycle has helped with that. I shan't mention or embarrass my children as usual. So what kind of challenges, you know, in terms of that, that hard work mentality, what sort of challenges do we face um, you know, if we're talking about conforming into a different pattern, being transformed. What challenges do we face in the 21st century? The first one, uh, low incomes. Low incomes just make balancing that equation that we had at the start really, really hard. Something like redundancy. Redundancy, which comes at you from nowhere, really genuinely can turn your life upside down. I get that. We have a a welfare system for which we're very grateful, but you know what? It doesn't always achieve what it's set out to do. Sometimes it creates problems, I fear, rather than solving them. Fourth one on my list would be entitlement. Entitlement, in essence, means that, that people think they deserve to live this comfortable, prosperous life, but without the hard work that earns it. Entitlement is definitely a stronger force than it used to be. Now, I know I'm in danger of, of trying to deal with complex economic, socio-political socio uh, issues in a five-minute piece. But in simple terms, the Bible presents a clear and repeated principle. It's really good to work, and it's good to work hard. You know what the rule Throughout this whole topic, this whole series will be something like this. If you operate within the, the framework of biblical principles, you open the door for the Lord to bless and increase you. Say that again. If you operate within the framework of biblical principles, you open the door for the Lord to bless and increase you. If you do not, then you place yourself at 
financial risk. You become vulnerable. Frankly, you're outside of the Lord's will. And of course, also, coming back to our chair here, hard work is one of the four legs on this chair. Chop it off, and the chances are of that chair staying stable and balanced and safe. Great to see you. Should we demonstrate? Jeremy, we need you. Paul's shaking his head. Eddie, you've had a promotion, mate. You're on. Okay. <laughs> right. No, yeah, only broken legs. Which one are we going for? We're going for that one. I would like to point out this was Jeremy's chair. Before you see the feeling sorry for the chair. Yeah? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, it's not quite working as, as intended as it. Should we give it a bit of a nudge? <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. Okay, number three. Chair leg number three. Uh, this one's giving. Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 9. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Proverbs 28, 22. A stingy man is eager to get rich and unaware that poverty awaits him. Now, I, I suspect that, that giving might not be a leg on many non-Christian chairs. It's counterintuitive, I think, uh, to think that giving it away is going to be good for you financially. Yes, it might make me feel good for a moment, but, but how will it benefit me financially? And the rule, which we've just had, it will look at this in greater depth over the next few weeks, is that if you place yourself under the umbrella, if you, if you operate within the framework uh, the principles of God's word, then you move yourself into position to receive blessing and favor. Especially when you are responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about this. And everyone is blessed. Now, if you remember, uh, in the Old Testament, the, the, the Hebrews, that they entered into or they were placed in, under a, a covenant of blessing. And uh, Deuteronomy 28 lists the, the, the terms and conditions of that covenant. It lists the blessings and curses of that covenant. Let me read it for you. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I am giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and bread balls will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do will be blessed. The point is, is doing it God's way 
places you under blessing. And of course, in the New Testament, we understand Hebrews 8 verse 6 tells us that we have a far better covenant even than that, based on better promises even than that. I love the old King James here, which says, Deuteronomy 28, all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. I like the sound of that. But again, back to our illustration. If there is no giving in your financial plan, you have a three-legged chair. Similarly, if you only have giving, you have a one-legged chair. And I've seen Christians trying to do it that way. Point again, balanced biblical living and stewardship has all four legs on its chair. Number four, saving, rattling on here. Proverbs 21, verse 20. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Uh, 13, 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. 13.22, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Of course, it's good, to, it's good to save and it's good to invest wisely to provide stability for your family. I think certainly for a Christian, a good motivator should be the more I have, then the more I can give. Many Christians, you know, they can't give as they'd like simply because they do not have Despair to give. Which leads, we haven't got time to go into this in great deal to detail today. It leads to a, a genuine tension, I believe, that a Christian faces between their, their desire to give and the wisdom that they know that they have of saving. How do you balance those two together? It's a tricky question. And for me, this comes down to a matter of, of the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, giving what the Holy Spirit impresses and saving as the Holy Spirit directs is a really powerful combination. We understand, don't we, that the Holy Spirit is, is with you. He's with you as an advocate. He's there to lead us into godly and biblical and supernatural living. So do you know what? Getting God involved in your financial life might well be the very best thing that you ever do. I'm going to just tell a quick story to tie all this together and then we'll wrap up. So um, I met with a couple in one of the churches I worked at in Canada. I'm, I'm going to call them Bill and Bell. Do we have a Bill here or a Bell? All the ladies are bells. I know that. I get that. No, no Bill and Bell. Okay, so I'm on safety. Okay, and, and I think what had happened is I taught a series something like this, and there was the invitation given to anyone who, who needed some financial help, you know, pulling together the budget, all this kind of thing. They were able to come and sit, and we'd look at it, get the spreadsheet out, we'd pull together a budget and all that kind of thing. So I had my first appointment with Bill and Bell, and... Um, and as we started to chat through, it became, it became very clear that they had a, a hefty debt load. And as I talked to them, they'd got some really jumbled ideas and, and dare I say, some rather suspect attitudes. 
So right from the, the get-go, I, I had major doubts as to where this process was going to go. Let's talk through the four pillars. First one, budgeting. You know, they lived in a, in a nice farmhouse outside of the city that, that frankly was way beyond the level that their income um, facilitated or, or frankly justified. All their credit cards were maxed out. They had several personal loans on top of that. They were in a negative equity position on the rather nice truck that he had, which means that he owed more on it than it was worth. And do you know what? She, Belle, had this really nice little kind of dream car, which she didn't really need because she never went out. Which leads on, kind of follows on to the next one, which was the hard work thing. Now, now Bill was, he was a truck driver, and his income was a little bit on the low side, to be honest. But Belle, she, said, she, she claimed that she had these sort of fear and insecurity issues, and, and she just wouldn't go out to work. She just refused to do it. But she'd, that's why she didn't need the car, you see. So she convinced herself this was all okay because she was so proud of the time that she, she spent with God walking around the fields around her farmhouse. And I remember sitting listening to Belle thinking, that's lovely, I'd, I'd love that gig too, to be honest. Number three, giving. You know, they said, as I, I questioned, they said they used to tithe on his income, but, but it got stretched and so they stopped. They now gave $100 a month to Benny Hinn Ministries. $100, incidentally, that they didn't have. And I was trying to explain to them that if you don't have it, it's not giving, it's stealing. You're stealing from the bank. And then saving number four, frankly, they had none whatsoever. Here was a man in his 50s, with no pension at all, no plan. So suffice it to say, having attempted to set up a budget, I was seeing red flags everywhere. But I'd often help, so together we drew up a budget. And then several months later, probably about three or four months later, we had a second appointment to see how things are going. I mean, they always do that on the good TV shows, right? We met again then to look through the figures, see how they were doing. And one of the first things I found was a new entry on their bank statement for $900 entitled The Brick. And it turns out, Brick is a furniture superstore. It turns out that they had bought themselves a nice new living room suite on credit. And it became very clear that they just did not have the willpower to make it. And I felt no choice not as a financial expert, recommend going and getting some proper help here, but the only route out of this I can see for you is bankruptcy. Do you know what? It turned out, much to my shock, that it would be his third time and her second. There's a word for this. It's sin. Not just foolishness. It's sin. Going back to the chair legs, their plan had no legs at all. Not three, <laughs> not even two. So it collapsed again. That's mildly humorous, but that's actually very sad. 
dare I say it's indicative of how many people actually live, even Christians. Okay, right. Time for a quick closing quiz. Right. Which of these three options do you think is God's plan for you and your finances? Is it A, poor, meager, cold, and hungry? Is it B, profligate, luxuriant, lavish, and materialistic? Or is it C, do I need to give you a clue? Or is it C, wise, balanced, generous, and blessed? You see, C is the place where you are handling money biblically and responsibly. It's where you're being a good steward. It's where money serves you, but not the other way around. C is the place where you you enjoy the rewards of hard work, the stability and integrity of, of good accounting. See that the benefits of wise, spirit-led saving and investing. Indeed, the thrill of generosity. And the Bible teaches that the balanced financial approach has these four pillars. So going back to Romans 12, do not conform. Instead, let God transform how you think about money. Because this is his will. This is his way. And it will be wise 